Hi, I'm Eric, and this is Listen to Sleep. Slow, quiet stories to help you fall asleep. I want to give a big shout out and thank you to Jody for joining the Patreon this week. It really touches me deeply. By supporting the Patreon, you are helping me live my dream of being a storyteller for a living. Right now, my goal is to get to $500 a month to just make a little bit more room for me to be able to invest in the podcast a little more and to take one step towards making being a storyteller my full-time job. That's pretty much my dream in life. And I really want to say thank you to all of you for helping me do that. Even if you can't support financially, just listening, reviewing, sharing it with your friends. It's turned what started as a hobby into a calling for me. I am just happy and a happier person in general for being able to help all of you get to sleep. It's something that trickles through the rest of my life and just has made everything better. So thank you to all of you for that. If you'd like to join the Patreon, there are some great rewards you get. For a dollar a month, you get the podcast a day early and without the introduction or any ads. You also get 10 hours of nature sounds that I've recorded here at my cabin to help you fall asleep. There are some other levels you can join at if you'd like and more rewards like sleepy shorts, bedtime stories for kids, and nature and music tracks that I make that are great for meditation, yoga. My mom loves them for falling asleep. This week, we're going to have a story by Frances Ellen Watkins Harper. I want to read to you a little bit about her from Wikipedia. She was an abolitionist, suffragist, poet, teacher, public speaker, and writer, and one of the first African-American women to be published in the United States. She was born in Baltimore, Maryland, and had a long and prolific career, publishing her first book of poetry at the age of 20. At 67, she published her novel, Iola Leroy, in 1892. I'm going to read to you the first chapter from that. I started reading it this week, and it's a great book. So, take a deep breath. Let it out. Close your eyes. Get cozy. And relax while I read to you. If you get sleepy, that's okay. Just let yourself fall asleep. Chapter 1 of Viola Leroy, or Shadows Uplifted. The Mystery of Market Speech and Prayer Meetings Good morning, Bob. How's butter this morning? Fresh, just as fresh as fresh can be. Oh, glory, said the questioner, whom we shall call Thomas Anderson, although he was known among his acquaintances as Master Anderson's Tom. His informant regarding the condition of the market was Robert Johnson, who had been separated from his mother in his childhood 
and reared by his mistress as a favorite slave. She had fondled him as a pet animal and even taught him to read. Notwithstanding their relation as mistress and slave, they had strong personal likings for each other. Tom Anderson was the servant of a wealthy planter who lived in North Carolina. This planter was quite advanced in life, but in his earlier days, he had spent much of his time in talking politics in his state and national capitals in winter, and in visiting pleasure resorts and watering places in summer. His plantations were left to the care of overseers, who, in their turn, employed Negro drivers to aid them in the work of cultivation and discipline. But as the infirmities of age were pressing upon him, he had withdrawn from active life, and given the management of his affairs into the hands of his sons. As Robert Johnson and Thomas Anderson passed homeward from the market, having bought provisions for their respective homes, they seemed to be very light-hearted and careless, chatting and joking with each other. But every now and then, after looking furtively around, one would drop into the ears of the other some news of the battle then raging between the North and South, which, like two great millstones, were grinding slavery to powder. As they passed along, they were met by another servant, who said in hurried tones, but with a glad accent in his voice, Did you see the fish in the market this morning? Oh, but they were splendid, just as fresh as fresh can be. That's the ticket, said Robert, as a broad smile overspread his face. I'll see you later. Good morning, boys, said another servant on his way to market. How's eggs this morning? First rate, first rate, said Tom Anderson. Bob's got it down fine. I thought so. Mighty long faces at the post office this morning. But I'd better move along. And with a bright smile lighting up his face, he passed on with a quickened tread. There seemed to be an unusual interest manifested by these men in the state of the produce market, and a unanimous report of its good condition. Surely there was nothing in the primeness of the butter or the freshness of the eggs to change careless-looking faces into such expressions of gratification, or to dull light eyes with such gladness. What did it mean? During the dark days of the rebellion, when the bondman was turning his eyes to the American flag and learning to hail it as an ensign of deliverance, some of the shrewder slaves, coming in contact with their masters and overhearing their conversations, invented a phraseology to convey in the most unsuspected manner news to each other from the battlefield. Fragile women and helpless children were left on the plantations, 
while their natural protectors were at the front. And yet, these bondmen refrained from violence. Freedom was coming in the wake of the Union Army. And while numbers deserted to join their forces, others remained at home, slept in their cabins by night, and attended to their work by day. But under this apparently careless exterior, there was an undercurrent of thought which escaped the cognizance of their masters. In conveying tidings of the war, if they wished to announce a victory of the Union Army, they said the butter was fresh, or that the fish and eggs were in good condition. If defeat befell them, then the butter and other produce were rancid or stale. Entering his home, Robert set his basket down. In one arm, he held a bundle of papers which he had obtained from the train to sell to the boarders, who were all anxious to hear from the seat of battle. He slipped one copy out, and looking cautiously around, said to Linda, the cook, in a low voice, Splendid news in the papers. Secesh routed. Yankees whipped them out of their boots. Papers full of it. I tell you, the eggs and the butter's mighty fresh this morning. Oh, show, child, said Linda. I can't read the newspapers. But old Mrs. Face is newspaper enough for me. I look at her every morning when she comes into this kitchen. If her face is long and she walks kind of droopy, then I thinks this is gwine wrong for them. But if she comes out here looking mighty pleased and larfing all over her face and stepping so frisky, then I knows the secesh is getting the best of the Yankees. Robbie, honey, does you really believe for good and righty that them Yankees has got horns? Of course not. Well, I yeared so. Well, you heard a mighty big whopper. Anyhow, Bobby, things goes mighty contrary in this house. Old Miss is in the parlor praying for the secesh to gain the day, and we's praying in the cabins and kitchens for the Yankees to get the best of it. But wasn't Miss Nancy glad when them Yankees runned away at Bull's Run? It was nothing but Bull's Run and runaway Yankees. How she did laugh and skip about the house, and then me thinks to myself, You'd better not holler till you gets out of the woods. I specs for them Yankees gets through, you'll be larfing to the other side of your mouth. While you was gone to market, old miss come out here, her face looking as long as my arm, telling us about the war and saying them Yankees whipped our folks all to pieces. And she was afraid they'd all be down here soon. I thought they couldn't come too soon for we, but I didn't tell her so. No, I don't expect you did. No, I didn't. If you buys me for a fool, you loses money, sure. She said when they come down here, she wanted all the men to hide, for they'd kill 
all the men, but they wouldn't touch the women. It's no such thing. She's put it all wrong. Why, them Yankees are our best friends. That's just what I thinks. Old Miss was just trying to scare a body. And when she were done, she just sat down and sniffled and cried. And I were so glad I didn't know what to do. But I had to hole in. And I made out I were awful sorry. And Jenny said, Oh, Miss Nancy, I hope they won't come here. And she said, I's just afraid they will come down here and gobble up everything they can lay their hands on. And she just looked as if her heart were most broke. And then she went into the house. And when she were gone, we just broke loose. Jake turned somersets and said he weren't afraid of them Yankees. He knowed which side his bread was buttered on. That Jake is a cuter. When he goes down to get the letters, he cuts up all kinds of shimes and capers. And to look at him skylarking there while the folks is waiting for their letters and talking about the war, you wouldn't think that boy had a thimble full of sense. But Jake's listening all the time with his eyes and his mouth wide open and catching everything he can and a heap of news he gets that way. As to Jenny, she just capered and danced all over the floor, and I just had to put my hand over her mouth to keep old Miss from hearing her. Oh, but we did have a good time. Boy, you oughter been here. And Aunt Linda, what, what did you do? Oh, honey, I were just ready to crack my sides larfin, just to see what a long face Jenny puts on when old Miss is talking, and then to see that face when Miss's back is turned, why, it's good as a circus. It's enough to make a horse larf. Why, Aunt Linda, you never saw a circus. No, but I's hearn tell of them, and I thinks they must be mighty funny. And I know it's awful funny to see how straight Jenny's face looks when she's almost ready to bust, while old Miss is fretting and fuming about them Yankees and the war. But somehow, Robbie, I rarely believe that we colored folks is mixed up in this fight. I seed it all in a vision. And soon as they fired on that fort, Uncle Daniel says to me, Linda... He's going to get our freedom. And I says, what makes you think so? And he says, they've fired on Fort Sumter, and the North is bound to whip. I hope so, said Robert. I think that we have a heap of friends up there. Well, I'm just going to keep praying and believing. Just then, the bell rang. And Robert, answering, found Mrs. Johnson suffering a severe headache, which he thought was occasioned by her worrying over the late defeat of the Confederates. She sent him on an errand, which he executed with his usual dispatch, and returned to some work which he had to do in the kitchen. 
Robert was quite a favorite with Aunt Linda, and they often had confidential chats together. Bobby, she said when he returned, I think we ought to have a prayer meeting pretty soon. I'm in for that. Where will you have it? Let me see. Last Sunday, we had it in Gibson's Woods. Sunday four last, in the old Cypress Swamp. And next Sunday, we'll have one in McCullough's Woods. Last Sunday, we had a good time. I were just chock full and running over. Aunt Millie's daughter's been moaning all summer, and she's just come through. We had a powerful time. Everything on that ground was just alive. I tell you, there was a shout into camp. Well, you had better look out and not shout too much and pray and sing too loud, because, for you know, the patrollers will be on your back and break up your meeting in a mighty big hurry before you can say Jack Robinson. Oh, we looks out for that. We's got a nice big pot that got cracked last winter, but it'll hold a lot of water, and we puts it where we can tell it everything. We has our own good times, and I want you to come Sunday night and tell all about the good eggs, fish, and butter. Mark my words, Bobby, we's all gonna get free. I seed it all in a vision, as plain as the nose on your face. Well, I hope your vision will come out all right, and that the eggs will keep and the butter will be fresh till we have our next meeting. Now, Bob, you send word to Uncle Daniel, Tom Anderson, and the rest of them to come to McCullough's Woods next Sunday night. I want to have a sin-killing and devil-driving time. But boy, you'd better get out of here. Old Miss will be down on you like a scratched cat. Although the slaves were denied unrestricted travel and the holding of meetings without the surveillance of a white man, yet they contrived to meet by stealth and hold gatherings where they could mingle their prayers and tears and lay plans for escaping to the Union Army. Outwitting the vigilance of the patrollers and home guards, they established these meetings miles apart, extending into several states. Sometimes their hope of deliverance was cruelly blighted by hearing of some adventurous soul who, having escaped to the Union Army, had been pursued and returned again to bondage. Yet, hope survived all these disasters which gathered around the fate of their unfortunate brethren, who were remanded to slavery through the undiscerning folly of those who were strengthening the hands which were dealing their deadliest blows at the heart of the nation. But slavery had cast such a glamour over the nation, and so warped the consciences of men, that they failed to read aright the legible transcript of divine retribution which was written upon the shuddering earth, where the blood of God's poor children had been as water freely spilled. Good night.